Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes and Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. And today, we are going to delve into a topic that we discussed briefly in our last podcast, Streaming Media. It's a growing market that's fueled by a seemingly unquenchable thirst for on-demand video and audio programming. This growing universe of content, though, has created a challenge for media companies and other content providers and consumers, and that is to make sure they are protecting their intellectual property and not infringing on others' copyrights and trademarks. Our guest today is Haynes & Boone counsel Darwin Bruce. Darwin is going to offer suggestions and legal issues for listeners to consider amid this explosion in streaming media. Darwin's practice focuses on media and entertainment transactions, corporate governance, mergers and acquisitions, transit and finance and real estate transactions. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Darwin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nathan. I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm going to start by getting your observations about the the streaming media market. And uh, it seems like it's only grown in the wake of the pandemic. What are your observations? Well, you know, the, the streaming market has actually been growing for some time, but the pandemic actually increased the speed of, of the growth uh, for several reasons. Uh, the market has, has basically grown because of the necessity for individuals and the companies within the industry. It seems like practically everyone has three or four streaming video services, and I know there's a lot of streaming audio as well. That's true. I mean, you can see you can see the growth in the, the increased number of films that are being released directly uh, to video streaming platforms, where music streaming has exploded in recent years because consumer demand. Uh, and then there are newcomers that come on the scene who who gain greater popularity with large numbers of social media subscribers. So all of these elements have been can increase the need for uh, streaming media. And pro- probably just since the start of this podcast, Darwin, there's a few new streaming services that have come online, I'm sure. <laughs> That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. You even have a scenario where performing artists or professional performing artists are have developed new methods of reaching their audience through the different streaming media mechanisms, whether it be comedy, live or recorded music or interviews, whatever it takes to keep their fans abreast of what they're doing. It's been used universally across the board in the industry. Definitely a different era than when I came of age listening to to music and watching movies in the 70s and 80s, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I talk to people all the time about, you know, when I was a kid and how I used to listen to uh, music on on the record phonographs players and you know of course those those days have been long gone but these days things are moving so quickly based on the advancement in technology it's almost impossible to keep up with the next particular uh, industry trend and really I guess the speed of change and evolution underpins a lot of what we're going to talk about today it's it's uh, creates some some potential legal issues for for people involved in streaming media commerce. I'm going to start by getting your reaction to the Protecting Lawful Streaming Act, which 
uh, was passed late last year and was tucked inside a giant uh, spending bill, which included relief from the pandemic. And so some people might have missed it. Can you please, we talked about that act recently in our podcast, but can you please just remind listeners what was uh, contained in, in that law? Sure. Um, the key focus of the Protecting Lawful Streaming Act was to literally prevent piracy of, of, of large amounts of streaming information by commercially based companies that are actually pursuing it to do it as a business venture. It wasn't designed to, to affect individuals who are on, to, on streaming platforms who are actually inadvertently skewing some of the, the laws associated with copyright infringement. But it is designed to create a felony conviction for those who engage in mass streaming of copyright material. And these are companies that specifically carry out illegal activity to do so. God, you say felony, that's bound to get companies' attention, I would think. Exactly, exactly. You know, and the legislation related similar to, to this, this new law has been controversial in the past because it, it's really been an issue of whether or not it actually will impede business development or whether it will actually help protect the industry itself. Many, many within the industry believe that it is an extremely valuable tool to potentially, you know, keep the rival business enterprises growing by being in compliance with, with the operation and being able to support all the different growth mechanisms they have within it in the industry. What would the other people say, those that are critics? Would, I mean, would they say that maybe a felony is too serious of a penalty uh, that we kind of, I mean, in some ways, maybe the industry seems like the Wild West and, and, I, and I suppose some are fearful of overregulating it. Yes, that's also a concern as well. Um, and then you have those who, who are companies that, that really work with enormous amounts of content and amounts of data um, who may have a difficulty policing them for themselves uh, the information and, and the content that, that comes through their organizations. And so for them, there's a, there's a possibility that they could run into issues where there'd be departments or different divisions of their company that may, may not be operating in compliance on the law. And does that really affect their overall business operation? Uh, so even those who are attempting to do things in the, in the correct manner, will they really see an impact uh, based on how the, the legislation is utilized? Yeah, I would think you'd really have to have your systems and processes, uh, you know, ironed out closely to avoid that. Well, let, let's turn to some of the IP issues that businesses sh- should think about if they're going to engage in streaming media commerce. Assuming, um, let's say you're a startup business that decides you want to stream content and acquire content to stream, what would be the first step you'd recommend for, for content providers? Well, if you're a content provider, obviously you want to make sure you uh, protect your content. But before you take the steps uh, to try to protect that content, it's extremely important uh, to do searches of the various databases that, that uh, support that, that the registration of that content. For example, the United States Copyright Office would be the, the office that, that holds all of the registrations for uh, copyright material. And that, that, you know, the copyright material, of course, we know is exclusive legal rights given to the originators of the work. Um, the first step is to make sure that there's nothing in existence about doing a thorough search. The same thing applies if you're focusing on a trademark uh, type registration. So the trademark obviously is, is, is separate from copyright, meaning it's a proprietary 
marks and, and names and phrases that are used that, that you want to protect. There's a technical process involved with, with trying to be sure that, that there's no infringement, that there's nothing in existence that's even similar to what you're pursuing to protect. So that's the first step in the process. I always recommend that individuals seek counsel uh, to go through that process because it's not as simplistic as they may, they may seem. Yeah, sure. Let's assume that you go through that process with the help of counsel and you decide, determine that you may uh, stream content that would, you know, implicate someone else's copyrights or trademarks. What would be the next step you'd recommend? Well, if you, if you find that there, there's some protected intellectual property in existence, the, the first, this first step, if you still wanted to utilize something similar or utilize that particular property, you'd have to contact that content holder. Uh, and, and that person would have to give you a, an ability for mission to either utilize the content uh, or give you some type of release to be able to take advantage of use of that content in order for you to pursue, pursue the use. And, and, and again, Darwin, I think I would imagine that process of reaching out to another party and beginning that negotiation is probably with, with a counsel uh, advising you. Exactly. Exactly. I, I wouldn't recommend doing it without counsel because, again, they're, they're very nuanced issues that, that, that evolve from those conversations. Tell me a little bit about what those negotiations involve. What, what kinds of, I guess, things would be included in a contract for a license or an acquisition of content? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the main focus when you initially uh, start those conversations is to focus on the type of content that you're pursuing. Uh, the type of content and the scope of the content. So uh, whether it be literary content or whether it be motion picture, whether it be uh, music, whatever the type of content is, it's, it's very important to, to define that specifically, the exact type of content that you're wanting to either pursue or protect. And that also goes into the distribution channels uh, that you want to utilize. So how, how are you planning on distributing that content, whether it be through streaming or whether it be through television, radio, print, whatever the, the potential channels of distribution also needs to be addressed because uh, you as, as detailed as possible to frame the narrow uh, protective, protective uh, intellectual property is, is, is best. Often, you know, you'll see in situations where many companies will seek to do a very more expansive or broad approach to obtaining the intellectual property. But if you're on the other side of that table, uh, you have to be very careful in ensuring that any of the ancillary properties, the ancillary uh, products or content that can be produced from what you have are not necessarily included in the specific negotiations for the transaction you're working towards. I would think that would be a, a difficult process in a way. It's such a fluid market that you think that there might be platforms or secondary uses that you might not even know about or anticipate at the time of when you're doing these contract negotiations. So I guess the challenge is, as you say, to try to either have it broad enough to include that, or if you're the provider, maybe you don't want to have it too broad. That's correct. I mean, and and again, it goes even further in terms of uh, like even geographic limitations. Are you, you, will it be worldwide protection? Mm -hmm. U.S. based? Will it be in a specific international jurisdiction? Uh, Whatever, um, the geographic limitation may be that also needs to be specified. And then the specific rights that you want to withhold, for example, if you want to allow for someone to have uh, the rights to 
uh, the the written literary content, but you still wanted to retain the rights to uh, maybe some of the musical composition that goes along with a piece of work. Um, whatever it may be that that is that is that is negotiated, it's very critical that those those negotiations are very specifically detailed to to what your really your true intent of, of working towards the transaction. Are there sometimes indemnity clauses? Would the would the provider be asked to hold the acquirer uh, harmless against future claims? Yes, uh, for sure, uh, because uh, obviously party that is that is actually transferring the rights or may or may not realize that they they have underlying issues of, of intellectual property title concerns that, that that may not be prevalent or just generally known. Uh, so to protect against those potential problems, then it's always best to provide some type of indemnity provision that, that identifies the party that is acquiring the property from any of the, the, the third party issues that could arise that, that the other party may have overlooked. Yeah, that makes sense. Is, is it also important for the contracts to spell out, you know, the type of use, whether the content will be streamed for educational business purposes, business development, marketing or entertainment? Does that is that matter as a contractual issue? It does, especially especially now with the growth of streaming media, uh, because with with the growth of streaming media, it, the streaming media is being used for so many different types of um, of effort. So. If you're doing a training, for example, if there are training platforms, if there are, there are sessions designed to to educate, if there's a specific purpose involved in, in, in use of the streaming media, you have to be very careful to to make sure that the agreements that you have in place for for the use of that streaming media uh, is detailed enough to specify the purpose for which it's being used, so that there's no extraneous use of of, of the property after you're completed with your transaction. Uh, there's a lot to spell out in these agreements. And of course, part of the discussion is, is financial, just deciding how much you're going to pay for the content. That's, that's correct. And with, with, with the, you know, the, the proliferation of, of the growth in the industry, I mean, it, it becomes even more of a negotiated item because the, the pieces of the pie get streamlined at certain points because there's so much, so much content that is readily available to the market. Because of that, the, the negotiations with regard to the fee structure and the actual royalty percentages uh, is extremely important. In fact, I don't I don't know if there is a typical if it's a case by case type of thing, Darwin. But is it are these acquisitions usually made for a, a set period or are they acquired in perpetuity? Um, it, it depends on the type of transaction, but I would say uh, primarily uh, you will you will see some see time limitations. Uh, for purposes of one, as we know, you know, content is king in the industry. So if whoever owns the title or, or, or rights to that content actually, you know, have true value in the organization. So because of that, the, the dynamics economically are that you want to retain the content for as long as possible if you're the acquiring party. Uh, if you're the party giving up those rights, uh, you want to limit those uh, transfer uh time periods as much as possible. So there's yeah, I always think it'd be administratively cumbersome to have to renegotiate the terms of the rights, you know, every year or every other year, if you're the acquirer. That's true. That's true. And so as the acquirer, you want to make it expansive, but, and that's when sometimes the negotiation gets into the, the other elements of the, of the intellectual property. And, and that's beyond the time scope, which is, for example, the geographic limitation. Uh, will it be in one region versus another as opposed to an expansive region? 
uh, and, and the type of content, maybe maybe instead of transferring uh, the entire intellectual property volume of content, they just choose certain allotments uh, to do that, so that so that there's they're careful to 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 control the actual valuation of the content. And Darwin, so far we've been talking mainly about issues to think about in the acquisition of content. I'm curious about what companies need to think about in terms of playing defense to make sure that their own IP is protected. How do how do companies police their content owners, IP owners police their own IP? Well, one of, one of the most important things that a company can do is to, as you mentioned, I think a moment ago, is, is really can understand their inventory. Uh, they need to know what exactly uh, agreements they have in place with other vendors, uh, with other uh, parties, with other content originators. Uh, and so it's very important to, to maintain a database, not only of those terms of the agreements, uh, but that there there's some kind of mechanism in place to monitor the timing of those uh, those rights and, and that there's a mechanism in place to, to, to manage the distribution percentages and, and all of the, the elements that are, that are tied to the economics. It's, it's key that if you have a large volume of inventory, that you control that volume effectively. It's also important that um, the searches uh, that, that an individual would need to do if they were trying to obtain a registration of some sort, uh, those companies have to do that on a regular basis, uh, on a consistent basis to ensure that any of the new uh, potential content that they would develop would be still under the umbrella that they're pursuing. Are, are there third parties that that do that as a, as a business proposition, just catalog inventory, the IP that's out there? Um, and I wonder if companies will, will yes, outsource yes, that yes, function. Yes, yes. Yes. And many of the large, large companies do uh, take advantage of, 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 of that, uh, that service. However, I would say even even for those companies who, who use an outside party to manage that process, uh, I still say it's very important that you have someone internal uh, that connects and works directly with that third party company in in that uh, relationship. Because even you know third party these third party companies uh, that's that's all they do and and they're good at their job. However, the internal business strategy that your company may have may be different than some of the others that, that contract with these third-party companies. And so you may have a, a growth of, in, in a particular streaming area that, that others are not thinking about. And so in that process, you want someone who understands not only what you possess in inventory, but understands the type of ancillary growth you want to have in other areas that may be expanding beyond what you currently have in inventory. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'm going to end by asking you about live streaming. We've all experienced a growth in, in live stream productions. Um, and I'm just curious if there's particular legal issues to think about in, in regards to the, that type of content. Yes, definitely. The The live streaming, uh, pure live streaming uh, has its own challenges in that most of uh, individuals who are, are companies who are doing pure live streaming productions it's a very creative process and, it, and a lot of it happens on the spot. Uh, a lot of it is, is pre-planned. However, um, those who are pursuing growth in that space should, should be cognizant of the fact they, they must make sure they have a plan in advance uh, to check any of the potential intellectual property rights that may be in existence so they don't inadvertently infringe on those rights that may be out there. Uh, because on the spot, is, is as you can imagine, is definitely 
more difficult to determine whether or not you can utilize a particular part of content that is used somewhere else. Uh, so, so if that is done on the front end and that pre-planning is in place, then you have a you have a production plan that actually syncs with with the final result, even though it's a live, pure live presentation. You know, it's interesting, Darren. I'm just thinking the technology has gotten so good. It's so easy for people to do like, you know, very professional live stream productions. I wonder if that just the, the ease of doing it can, can fool people into thinking, oh, I could just do a quick live, pre- live stream production, no legal issues to worry about and not, you know, really kind of lose sight of some of the legal landmines that are out there. Right, right. That, that is, that is true. And, and those, there are those there who are, uh, producing their own content, uh, who may not even be aware of the different legal implications um, that may be in place, which is why it's important for companies if they're if they're uh, trying to acquire or working to acquire any of the content that's produced by some of those individuals, um, they have to be careful with, in terms of how that uh, how that translates to to their portfolio. Because if you if you have an individual that's on social media or any other platform and and they're producing their own material. You have to be you have to be clear that one that uh, if they're doing a remote remote production, uh, you don't you're not sure about the different rights that they possess uh, with regard to the material they presented to you, and you're also not sure about the other intellectual property that may be some some of the other platforms that that they that they have in place that that you may that that may affect uh, the content that you're seeking to acquire. So all of those elements are important to consider. Darwin, thanks for joining today. You've given our listeners a lot to think about. Before we sign off, I'd like to remind everyone that you can find our podcast and other interesting content from our IP and media entertainment litigation practice groups at HanesBoone.com. Of particular interest, we recently posted the firm's media entertainment and First Amendment newsletter, which features an article by Darwin on the subject we discussed today. So please check that out at HanesBoone.com. Finally, a reminder, you can find this and other Haynes Boone, Haynes Boone podcasts on most of the popular podcast platforms, which include Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you will join us for our next episode of the HB Media Minute.